Thank you. Thank you, Cecilia. Good morning, everybody. It's a pleasure to be here among you. My thanks to the New York Open Center. I collaborated with them already in Granada yeah, some years ago. It was lovely. And to the Mujidin in Narabi, uh, my thanks to all of you. I, I, last two days I, I, I became familiar with the fact that uh, Spanglish is quite well understood in New York nowadays. So, <laughs> so I hope most of you will, will be familiar with it. Says Ibn Arabi, manifestation of multiplicity from the one is due to the fact that the one has got many aspects. So the multiple unity of the human kingdom on Ibn Arabi's book of the servants, Kitab al-Abadila. Let's start by some initial reflections on interior diversity in Ibn Arabi's doctrine. When explaining the plurality inherent in unicity, Ibn Arabi quite often refers to God as the one multiple, al-Wahid al-Kathir. Created in God's own image, the human being is therefore also one and multiple. The many names, attributes of divi and divine characteristics display their effects in human beings. So at each moment one or other of these names are manifest in a person's state, in their station or in the secret of their heart, in a never-ending journey of constant transformation. The names of the Prophet, as well as the names of human servanthood that correspond to the divine names, names express the diversity that is inherent to the condition of human receptiveness. In a sense, in the human kingdom, al-Mamlaka al-Insaniya, as conceived by Ibn Arabi, for example, in his book, At-Tadbirat al-Ilahiyya, the various aspects and possibilities of a human being constitute a sort, or a sort of interior community. The realized human being is one who managed to integrate the plurality of his multiple persons, which are essentially one in his interior. Recognizing in oneself this plural unity is essential in order to accept, understand, and respect the other's plurality. One cannot expect a human being to always be the same in terms of states, stations, acts, and expressions. Only if we relate openly to the essential being that integrates the diversity of the inner voices and manifestations of an individual can we establish harmony in relationships. Due to their creative and changing nature, these relationships manifest in the form of conflict, since the names, according to the image proposed by the Sheikh, strive to manifest, or even quarrel to manifest, and express their, express their specific nature in the parliament of names. It is due to the heart's orientation that the effects of the names, like the birds of the language of the birds from, from Fariduddin Attar, harmonize themselves during the return journey to the singularity of the one. Consequently, I understand from the teachings of Ibn Arabi that if we do not completely accept our own inner diversity, we cannot respect, know, know and love ourselves entirely, nor, of course, can we realize our condition of synthesis which unites the opposites nor can we therefore recognize, love, and respect the plural unity of others. 
Whoever does not realize his, her original condition of jamie, which is the central theme of the book we are going to talk on, of, of jamie, the condition of jamie, the integrated and integrating nature of the human being, cannot recognize the continuously renewed recreation of other human states, nor the continuous transformation of theophanic revelation in this world or the other dimension. Only the heart, which is able to adopt all forms, can realize the unifying mystery of true love, origin and essence of all manifestations. There can be nothing outside the divine plan, nothing that does not originate from the command of the Creator, nothing that does not have full meaning in the process of realization of the mysterious truth in which, in which often we find ourselves immersed. Expectations predetermine ideas about how things or others should be at any given moment, if they do not spring from divine inspiration, are only bales for the naked receptiveness and open acceptance of divine providence. In his response to question number 48 in Tirmidhi's fam famous questionnaire addressed to the seal of Muhammadian sainthood, Ibn Arabi distinguished between the people of phenomena or places of manifestation Ahl um, al-Madahir, those who are subject to, the, to, to grace or, di, or disgrace, to punishment or reward, reward, and the people of the essential unity, Ahl al-Ahadiyya to that, for whom there is no grace or disgrace. He quotes Abu Yazid al-Bistami, saying, Sometimes I, I laugh and sometimes I cry, but nowadays... nowadays I neither laugh nor cry. He was asked, and how does your morning start? How are you today? He answered, there is no morning and no evening for me. Morning and evening are for those who are limited by some attribute, and I have known no attribute. The human being, liberated from the pretension of all self-appropriation, Freed from identifying with the attributes which are necessitated by the manifestation of the name's effects in the cosmos, is able to transcend the apparently the, the apparent duality of opposites and to thus restore the integrating unity of his original theomorphism, his condition of being the mirror of reality. This is the station without form or attribute which adopts all forms and attributes. The book that we are going to speak about is a model and guide to come to understand the nature of this unlimited bestowal, which characterizes the Muhammadian model of the so-called by Ibn Arabi, Rahim Mutlaq, the unlimited mercifier in the translation of the wonderful book by Steve Hissenstein, precisely referring to this expression. So the, the unlimited mercifier exemplified by Ibn Arabi himself. May our hearts adopt the form, um, uh, sorry, may our hearts by the divine, divine grace adopt the form of the pilgrim's Kaaba, Kaaba to Taif, or more precisely, the Kaaba of the one who circumambulates, an image of the cube or a square Kaaba that is defined within the all-inclusive circle without beginning or end, which is constantly being actualized an image then of the act of squaring the circle or circling the square, which stands as a ma major symbol for the holy city of the heart.
Now let me just very quickly pass through some major points of this wonderful book of Ibn Arabi called The Book of the Servants of God. Um, the, the wider title is this one, Kalam al-Abadila fil haqaiq bi al-sinati al-asma. So the discourse of the so-called Abdullah or servants of God on the, real, on the celestial realities by means of the tongues of the divine names. I cannot stop in technical details that are not convenient, I guess, for the situation and the, and the audience. But just to let you know that when the title refers to the spiritual realities, he's also referring at the same time to a technical term we are going to discuss a bit, which is the term akhlaq, the original, the primordial divine characteristics or, or character traits or dispositions. And something very relevant I would like to say about this book concerning um, the m multiplicity, oneness and multiplicity of human beings at the same time, is that Ibn Arabi, as the, as the author, uh, writes that this book, in fact, is written by, uh, is attributed, is, has been written by some Gnostic or Gnostics. The expression is ambivalent. He says, Kitab al-Abadila li arifin written by some knowledgeable people, right? Because, uh, this is very interesting, because we're in front of a phenomenon, which is a collective work, actually. is this uh, inner community of his own inner experience that is the author of the book. The book has got 117 chapters, and the structure is always very meaningful in Ibn Arabi's way of writing. So we are coming to this point later on. These 117 chapters start with the name of the author of the saints that follows. So, for example, every chapter will start by saying Abdullah, which is servant of Allah, who is the son of a name of a prophet or a saint or something, a personal name, who is the son of Abd something, of Ad, uh, the servant of a certain divine name, right? This is the structure. So why those 117? Uh, the book was first published in Egypt, but the problem was that this very, uh, this edition was very precarious and, and 16 full chapters were missing, so imagine. It was very difficult to think of the structure and, and to read the, the book properly. Now, uh, soon we are going, uh, together with Suad Hakim from Lebanon, we are going to prepare, a, a, we are preparing, it's, it's done, so it's almost ready for, for publication, a critical edition. I hope you soon can read. Um, now, there is also a mysterious side of this structure because we get the first part with 50 chapters, chapters and a second part with 67. And some of the details I'm not going to come in. And the fact is that, as it was pointed before uh, by Michael Sells, there is an immense creativity uh, from a literary point of view in Ibn Arabi's writing. His own experience of writing is fascinating. And in this case, we are in front of a unique piece of of what I uh, call, following some previous writings on the matter, heteronymy, which means having a plurality of a kind of pseudonym, pseudonym 
The, the difference is that you use a pseudonym when you want to hide your identity as, the, as a writer, while heteronymy is a different process. It's a diversification of inner voices in the act of writing. Many in history did use that, like Soren Kierkegaard, the, the philosopher, or Lope de Vega, the writer of theater, or, or so many others, like Fernando Pessoa or, or Antonio Machado, the poets. So they have a diversity of characters, and each one of them has a specific spirit. But never in history did a writer um, produce a book in which 117 voices are represented, 117 different ethronyms. Uh, so it's a unique case. We can think in, thea in theater writings, we could, we could consider the, the voices as, as those are not ethronyms at all. Right? So it's a unique a literary case for this uh, phenomenon. Diversification of literary identity. Uh, we don't know exactly when the work was written. Uh, we have a possible 20 years, anyway, beginning of 13th century. Something very beautiful about the structure, and I will end uh, with this matter of numbers, is that uh, when I came to count the number of sentences in the first part of the book and in the second, I found that it is exactly the same number, is 474 sentences in each part, which provides a, a mysterious balance among the two. I'm working on the ratio um, of these two parts in relation to the Koran and other aspects, numerical aspects that have a, a very beautiful symbolical dimension, but is too complex to explain here. Now, a fascinating uh, uh, interplay of levels, uh, the hermeneutics of this book are really a, an, an experience of the whole Akbarian approach to discourse. Uh, these 117 chapters uh, correspond, I mean the 114 first chapters of the book correspond one by one to the chapters of the Quran. But this is uh, presented in an elusive manner, so that it's not immediately evident. You have to, to have a experience in order to detect what are the references to what passages and the particular chapter of the Quran. But in one level, when you are reading this book, you are also reading a sort of commentary, elusive commentary, um, to the chapters of the Quran. On the other level, each chapter refers to a divine name, to, to a particular degree of a divine name. So on the other hand, you are reading a commentary on the 99 names of God. On the other hand, each chapter uh, refers to a particular proto a spiritual prototype of sainthood or prophethood or uh, a, a human uh, prototype of knowledge and, and a spiritual realization. So... Um, so such as Ibrahim or Elias or any other figure. So that's another fascinating dimension of the text. And what I found out is why 117 chapters? Last three refers, uh, I established the relationship, to the three other texts, revealed texts mentioned in the Quran, thus to the Gospel, the Psalms, and the Torah, right? So it's the 114 surahs of the Quran and the three uh, revealed text mentioned in the Quran, and we have the whole structure. But 117 appear to be a, uh, a strange number. Most probably it refers to a hadith, 
because the media ask, why do we speak of 117 characters? What are those? He asked to the seal of the saint to answer centuries later. And Ibn Arabi would respond and say that, uh, and, and explain what are those. And in fact, the book is based on those, one is an explanation of these 117 uh, character traits of God. So it's, they do not exactly co correspond to the divine names, right? The first one, which is, uh, in a sense, is um, privative to Muhammad, would be Jama, would be precisely this integrating capability, this all-inclusive uh, condition of his word and his actualization of, uh, of the human form, and, and so on. So each chapter will refer also to one of those divine characteristics as manifested because every khuluk, every divine characteristic, needs a, plane, a place of manifestation, right? So all are manifested, even those who are only known, as Ibn Arabi says, to God. But those abadilah, those servants of God, are the places of manifestation of the akhlaq, of the divine uh, primordial characters. Um, I explain that because uh, it will be very relevant for you to follow the part, uh, the, sh the short part of the text I'm going to read to you. So, um, effectively, I followed chapter by chapter to explore this, this uh, correspondence with the Quran and with Akhlaq. This is very subtle, this is a very complex, a little bit too technical to share it with you here. So, what I'll do is to go directly to the introduction Ibn Arabi wrote to his book, which is always very uh, like a synthesis of the spirit of the book and the, and the content. Let's start by that. Then I will read to you a, a, a full chapter, which is the chapter relating to the Surah Al-Ikhlas, that many of you may know, uh, 112, the, uh, and, and then we'll see. So let's have a direct taste of the book. In the name of God, the most gracious, most merciful. Praise be to God with the praise of praise, for he is the perfect one to whom belongs the clearest, purest station. May God bless the Prophet Muhammad, the praise one, place of praise, the one who brings the grace of all that I say, the one who is most realized in it. And may he give him bountiful peace from the station of the intimate secret and the most hidden mystery. This is a book in which we mention what was articulated by the tongues of the Abdullahs, the servants of God, when they realized what the truth itself made them verify, showing it as essential truth in the secret of their hearts, as well as what their tongues have translated and transmitted to the hearts of the Gnostics who have been brought close from the tongues to the Fahuaniya, the uterine of the divine word in the intermediate world of images, which speak at the same time about the world of presence, the divine command B, prior to it being clarified at the level of their minds. Thus, they have spoken most eloquently regarding how the matter truly is in both the hidden and manifest worlds, in knowledge and worship. 
The interpreter in this book is an all-inclusive son, Ibn Jamia, of a particularized father, Ab Muqayyad. This entails a relationship of sonhood and fatherhood which applies equally to the condition of sainthood and boyship and prophethood. Since Abdullah, servant of God, is an inclusive name that integrates all the degrees of a spiritual elevation, this is why we have made him in the first place of each genealogy or chapter of the book, uh, we have made him an interpreter par excellence. Since an interpreter, Tarjuman, as in the Tarjuman al-Ashwak, is the one who unites several languages. Then we have, linked, we have linked him to the station of a servant who has been given one of the degrees of a divine name. We have also linked him to a perfect individual, Shah Kamil, one of the prophets of saints. Thus we have defined what, is, what was indefinite and distinguished the ambiguous from the clear we have detailed what was in summary form and opened up what was close. We have raised the curtain so that the bridal beds became, became manifest with whoever and whatever lies upon them once the veil of the brides has been removed. The treasures appear when the locks are open and the degrees are differentiated when the state of synthesis disappears. It is God who dictates to the places that uh, receive inspiration, what is written by the fingers and pens on sheets of papers and in notebooks, so that there are no errors or mistakes, distortion or alteration. When one of these happens, it must be a question of lack of understanding, not of knowledge, since divine knowledge keeps its integrity and is error-free, while human understanding is sometimes inspired by grace and sometimes deprived of it. And it is God who covers us with the garment of providential grace and preserves us with his protective supervision. Now, this was the introduction. And in order to have time to comment a little bit on the sentences of this chapter, uh, we are going first to read the eight sentences and then to comment on the final four. So as I told you, this, the chapter uh, 112 is, corresponds to Surat Al-Ikhlas, which if you remember says, uh, say God is, uh, is one, Allahu as-Samad, God is the Samad, which is a difficult term to translate, and we'll see how it, it should be understood from the text. And Lam Yalid wa Lam Yulad, which is especially referred to, this, this verse is especially referred to in the text, which is, he, was, he has not been engendered, he did, he did not engender, nor has been engendered. He was not, let's say, he, was not a, he has not been a father or, or progenitor, He's, he didn't, he was not, uh, he, did, he was not born. And this is, this is the idea. What is the original huluk meant implicitly in this text? Would be, I believe, the interiority and original innocence of the non-born. Now, something very special. We are going to read a commentary on the class that refer to a human actualization of, of this huluk expressed in Lam Yalid Walam Yulad. 
and commonly understood only as referring to God himself and not in particular to human being. But how in Arabic uh, uh, focus uh, on the matter is, is really uh, new for my experience of a text. Now, the chapter is called Abdullah ibn Hibatullah ibn Abdelbatin. Hibatullah meaning the gift of God. So it's the name of a character, of a, a spiritual prototype. And Abdelbatin, the servant of the interior or the hidden. What does this servant of God say to us? He said, The one who has no interior, Batin, has no exterior. Things are only known by themselves, while their degrees are only known by their opposites. And he said, He is the first and the last, the manifest and the non-manifest. By saying this, God postponed the mention of the name the interior or non-manifest to the end of the sentence because it corresponds to the image of the name the first. And he said, you see how elusive and symbolical and difficult to, to grasp at the first instance those sentences are. So they, they will need commentary, but I will focus only at, uh, at the last sentences. Third, and he said, do not treat the one who hides from you in the same way as you treat the one who manifests to you as you would be making a mistake. And he said, now we start the second the part we are going to comment on. And he said, the one who in his knowledge of things remains in the same state as he was in before he knew anything at all, this is the true man, Rajul, since he has not come out from his mother's interior, Batni Ummihi, and says the uh, and says the versicle, he brought you forth from your mother's wombs, not knowing anything, the Quran. And he said, Our tombs are like the wombs of our mothers, and being born is like being raised up. What is found in between the two, between the wombs and the tombs, birth and resurrection, is the period of pregnancy. And he said, the one who nourishes you in your mother's womb when you were still not born is the name the non-manifest. Once you were born, it is the name the manifest that takes charge of the appropriate nourishment for you until you have the use of reason. Once you are able to reason by yourself, one of two things may happen. If you manifest in yourself a pretension to autonomy, he, God, will delegate you your care to you, which will wear you out, and he will only take charge of your situation in a way that you will not perceive. So this will be very tiring. But if you do not manifest any pretension of independence and remain according to your original nature, then he will entrust the provider, a rasik, with the care of your nourishment, by which you will liberate your soul from such exhaustion. And he said, Eat from the divine gift of grace, as it is more appropriate for you, because it is your root, and do not rely on anyone but, but the gift giver, al-wahib. And like providence, other forms of gift 
such as liberality, generosity, provision, or charity, are linked to pretension. Final sentence. And he said, The gift of grace, Hiba, is a delightful joy, as it does not require anything from the servant to obtain it apart from the simple fact that he exists. Give praise then to the gift giver, so that he may give you a pure sound. Gulaman Sahiya, referring to the Quranic uh, passage in, when, in which it is said to Mary, uh, God says, uh, no, the messenger said, uh, I'm only a messenger of the Lord, that I may bestow on thee a pure son. So Mary is implied in the text through this allusion to the Quran. So, that, so, so do Jesus being the, the pure son of this, uh, in this versicle. Now this is a beautiful text. So you can feel how those chapters are structured and how subtly they are a commentary of the Quran, a commentary of this particular huluk, which here is the innocence, the primordial innocence of being not born. And now, if I have time... It's about time now. If, oh, if you okay. If you don't do Q&A, keep going for a little longer. Hmm. <laughs> Perhaps let me, let me just go a little bit to comment at least one, one thing in particular, and, and then we see whether there is time and enough for questions. Because in particular this sentence about, about the true spiritual man, uh, human being, let's say, is, uh, is quite relevant. I found that... Uh, this, I will repeat it and so that I can comment it. The one who is in his knowledge of things, sorry, the one who in his knowledge of things remains in the same state as he was in before he knew anything at all, this is the true man, since he has not come out from his mother's interior. Um, so this is a main reference, uh, a main approach for a conception of, of real ultimate knowledge. And this refers to a state of being ummi, the prophet is saying in the Quran to be ummi, normally understood as being illiterate, or to be one of the Gentile, of the pagan, those who, who were not familiar with the scriptures. In any, in any sense, we find here, a, a, I would say, a deeper sense of the question. Is to be ummi means literally as from your mother, as you come from your mother. So what is pointed out here is a kind of a spiritual illiteracy of the spirituals that consist of being completely ignorant of the level of discrimination of things as separated entities and remaining in the unity and sense of providence you have when you are in your mother's womb. And this connection of motherhood and sonhood, which is very meaningful also in terms of the, of the book itself, uh, provides a framework for uh, inspiration in, in terms of how shall we live and uh, in order to let times, time for question I would like to summarize the, the spirit of this chapter uh, with a saying that came out of Jane Carroll when we were discussing is if we have to say in few words how to practice this particular divine huluk, this particular divine disposition I would say and I end by this be a happy fetus. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.